delighted to be here, and especially helping out Brian. Um, I'm so glad that he has the freedom with uh, Jennifer and the kids to go out and be a part of Jennifer's sister's wedding and have some refreshment. Uh, and I want to take this time especially, I, I don't know how uh, blessed you really know you are. I mean, we are really blessed to have Brian here. And I say this, all right, I'll, I'll speak professionally. Here I am, um, a PhD, biblical studies, Bible scholar, okay. Um, a one-time seminary professor, and yeah, I teach up at Muskingum. Uh, I've got to tell you, uh, Brian handles the scriptures so well. Um, we, we're really blessed to, to have him here. So I feel privileged that I, I get to step in uh, at this time. And one of the things, let me see, get my stuff out here. Uh, you don't want my phone, but I, no, you don't want my car key either. <laughs> um, where are we here? I want to make sure, is this working? Is this on? One of the things I loved about the worship this morning is that we not only sang about God's grace, we got to extend God's grace. And I thought that was really rich um, uh, fellowship, really rich worship. And um, you know, it, it's not an issue of being embarrassed. I mean, we've just sung about the cross. Talk about the one moment in human history where someone looked really bad. It was Jesus being crucified. And yet, out of that, we come together in the name of Jesus because he's bought us through the cross and given us new life in the resurrection. So I would like to continue with our uh, practice here of working on our memory verse. This is a verse that's to, to summarize the series, and I don't know where you are. I'm maybe about halfway there. Um, I wish I were more there. Uh, I, uh, we, we were not present last week, um, unfortunately. We, we always try to be here as much as we can. But uh, we ended up in Florida, the place where we spent our honeymoon. Um, so celebrating 40, 41 years, but anyway, um, that's where we were. I, I hope that counts as... But I did listen uh, to um, last week, and I also listened to how we all struggle with this memory verse. So let's see how we're doing here. <laughs> Mark 8, 35 to 36. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Let's pray. Indeed, Father, what does it profit any of us to gain the whole world and yet be lost. And so we thank you that you give us life uh, when we lose ours. We thank you this is possible because of Jesus, uh, our Lord Jesus, who's been crucified and raised from the dead. And so we ask for your mercy and your grace right now that we would uh, not only listen well, that I would speak well, that we would especially all be responsive to your spirit. Uh, this time is about you, it's not about us. And so I pray that we would all leave here refreshed and energized and ready to uh, be a part of your work in this world uh, and a part of your work in this church. Um, we commit all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I think it's true that most of us, uh, if not all of us, like to be insiders. You know, we don't like to be outsiders. Uh, we want to belong to people, to associate with people. We, we, we don't want to be shut off in conversation or activity. And we love it when we are included, and we hurt inside when we're not. So 
no fooling, I watched this happen once up over there at the intermediate school. You can barely see it out the window. Uh, now, for those of you who don't know how this works in, in New Concord, you know, there's, there's three basic K through two schools. Um, you know, we've got Perry, we've got Pike, we've got Stormont School. And, and uh, uh, when everyone's done with second grade, all three schools feed into the Larry Miller Intermediate School. And the way this works is, you know, the week before classes or so, um, all the kids get uh, something from the teacher in the mail, list of all the things I want you to bring to the classroom, and then make sure you have these supplies in your desk. And so the day comes when, when all the kids get to come with their parents, they get to meet uh, kids from the other schools coming together. It's this kind of exciting time. You get to meet the teacher. And so here they were all together. I watched this happen. So there's this little girl, we'll, we'll call her Sally. She, she w went to Pike. She comes in with her bag of stuff and you know, puts stuff where the teacher tells her and then puts the rest in her desk and, and then moves off to one of her friends uh, from Pike. And, and then this boy comes up next to Sally's desk and he starts putting his stuff in and his parents are there behind him. And so Sally's mom, seeing this boy putting his stuff in the desk, goes up and, 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 and leans over and says, Hi, I'm Sally's mommy. And the parents pulled him back. What, like she's a kidnapper or something? I don't know. I don't know what that meant. Uh, that hurt. Now, maybe you know, much better would be the kind of experience that uh, um, I know went on uh, when one of our daughters was up at John Glenn High School. Uh, for a while, there was a program there. I don't, I don't know if it's still going on. Um, called Ambassadors Club, and, and it was designed to help the non-freshmen who were coming in brand new. You know, freshmen, they get taken care of in orientation, but sophomores, juniors, and seniors um, weren't at one point. And, and this girl, she was a Christian girl, and actually what happened to her, her first two weeks of classes, no one spoke to her. And so, you know, as a Christian, she said, okay, fine. So she started this program where everyone coming in new, sophomore, junior, senior year, would be matched with uh, an established junior or senior so that there was someone to take them through and show them the ropes. And, you know, this is how you navigate the lunchroom. <laughs> this is the shortcut. This, this is where the bathrooms are. This is what you never do in class, okay? Things like that that, that make people fit in and, and feel welcome. So we like welcoming stories. We, we shudder at exclusion stories. So we're about to read a passage today from the Gospel according to Mark that, that really is an insider-outsider story. It, it deals exactly with this whole issue of you know, who is welcome and, and it applies it to the household of God. So, so listen carefully as I, as I read this. It, it might seem that Jesus is saying that some people are excluded. By the end of today's message, I hope that you'll see that no one who comes to Jesus ever is. So let's read. This is from where are we here? Okay, from Mark chapter seven, verses twenty seven to thirty. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, 
Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. I don't like hearing stories about people even potentially being excluded from anything. And uh, I imagine you don't either. So when we come across a passage like this we're, uh, we're dealing with today in Mark, uh, we can feel really uncomfortable. Um, what has Jesus just done here? Did he actually insult an outsider? Was he actually turning someone away? Was he treating someone like an outsider? Was, why did he say that? And, and was it really right? Well, okay. It's not possible that Jesus could have sinned. So what's going on here? The only way out of this is to ask the only question we can possibly answer. Why is Mark telling us this story in the first place? We have Mark's words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, pointing us to an answer. Mark clearly doesn't think Jesus ever made any mistakes. He never anywhere in his gospel communicates anything uh, with the slightest possibility of that. So we could, we could just push that off the scene here. He certainly doesn't think this is a mistake. He wouldn't be telling it otherwise. Nothing Mark here supports, says here supports anything like that. So what is Mark trying to tell us here by giving us this story at this point with these words? Well, one of the best ways is to start at the beginning of his gospel. You know, the good news of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. And uh, Mark tells us a story about Jesus who is an amazing authority, who acts and gets results immediately. One of his favorite words. We watch him come first on the scene, commanding fishermen to drop their nets and come follow him. And they do. Uh, two of them even leaving their father behind with the boat. Um, Jesus enters the synagogue immediately. And it's on the Sabbath day. And he teaches there with authority. And uh, he immediately exorcises. He casts out a demon from a, a demon-possessed man who's there. Uh, and everyone's amazed and astonished. And he heals everyone who was brought to him. And then we soon learn that this authoritative man has enemies. Jesus claims to do what only God can do, and some people don't like that. He claims he has the authority on earth to forgive sins and then pronounces forgiveness on a paralyzed man whom he heals. Jesus raises more eyebrows when he associates with sinners. He offers what he calls new wine and new wineskins. He proclaims himself Lord of the Sabbath and then confounds his opponents who try to trick him into working on the Sabbath. And when Jesus turns the tables on them, they go out and conspire how to do him in immediately. Those chief opponents, the followers of Herod and Pharisees. So, meanwhile, Jesus gathers his own followers, his 12 apostles and those who are with him, and he teaches everyone else in parables, but in secret explains everything to his insider disciples. This is great. 
Um, he has extraordinary personal encounters, I mean really extraordinary personal encounters with, with a demon-possessed man, with, with a synagogue ruler uh, and his daughter, with a woman who's been hemorrhaging for years and years with no relief. He has significant interaction with, with each of these and, he, and he, he takes care of each one of them. And, and all of this demonstrates not simply Jesus' power, but his compassion for the needy. This is an authority who cares in spite of ongoing opposition. And uh, though he was opposed in his own town, um, in his hometown, uh, his two main opponents really are um, Herod and Pharisees. And so Jesus sends out his 12 uh, with extraordinary authority to cast out demons and to heal. Uh, and Herod gets word of this and thinks, you know, this is John the Baptist whom he had beheaded. You know, this is John who's raised, been raised from the dead. And, and, and Jesus offers quite a contrast. While Herod murders his opposition, simply to follow through on a silly boast, Jesus has compassion on his people feeding them when they're in need. And, and then there are the Pharisees who, who are bent out of shape because Jesus won't follow their traditions of cleanliness. And so Jesus points out the real source of defilement. And this was our passage last week. The real source of defilement, the heart out of which flows all sorts of evil. And that brings us to our passage for today. So what's important to recognize for our story uh, that we've read today, it comes in the middle of opposition. Jesus is the authority. He is God's agent, God's Christ, God's Messiah, which is what Christ means if you didn't know that. Um, He's introducing new wine and new wineskins, connecting all this to the plan of God. He's also the one who forgives sins, who calls the shots on the Sabbath, who miraculously feeds people and calms raging storms, things only God can do. And he's a compassionate authority who cares for his people instead of using them for his own personal gain and esteem, unlike the authorities of the Roman world, people like Herod. In the passage we looked at last week, Jesus is criticized by other authorities, Pharisees, uh, for not keeping the traditions of cleanliness that had become so common for Jewish people. Jesus, the authority, promotes a different kind of cleanliness, an, an inner cleanliness. It's the only kind that matters because in the end, evil in all its forms comes straight from the heart. And if the heart is clean, good is going to come from there. So it's the heart that really defiles people. In the process, Mark shows that Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, offering new wine and new wineskins, declares all foods to be clean. And, And he opens the gate in doing that for all people in the entire world to be included in what Jesus is doing. Basically, people don't have to become Jews to associate with Jesus and to belong with his kingdom. An especially important point for the kind of reader Mark seems to be uh, telling his story to. Gentile people, non-Jews, perhaps living in the city of Rome and beyond. So let's get to the passage here. Uh, and I'd like to, to divide it into, into three uh, broad moves. We got the setup, we have the banter, and then we have the conclusion. So, so here's the setup. Uh, a, a special request comes from an outsider who is barging in on Jesus' privacy. 
Um, Jesus has left the territory of Galilee, Jewish territory. He's, he's come into the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon, uh, two very clearly non-Jewish towns. And, and uh, he's in a private home. He's trying to lie low in secrecy. Uh, and in barges a woman who is desperate to get help for her little daughter. And that's how Mark, her, her little daughter. But her little daughter is demon-possessed. The woman is a complete total outsider, I would say, of the worst kind. And you're thinking, how are you getting that? Uh, so, so let me clue you into to one of the ways that Mark tells his story. Uh, it's, okay, sounds fancy. It's called a, a two-step progression. And what that means is you've got two words or two sayings side by side, and they almost seem to be identical. But, but the second one really clarifies the first and, and zings home the point. And Mark does this all throughout his story. Probably the very first time he does this it's in the first chapter after Jesus has had this incredible day of ministry on the Sabbath. It says, that evening at sundown, da, 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 da. wait a minute, that evening at sundown, I mean, evening, it's about the same time of day, right? Except that, well, evening is big and sundown tells us it, it's, it's the very beginning of the evening. One, and two, for, for Jewish people, definitely, and, and even for some Greeks, the day begins and ends, at sundown. It goes from sundown to sundown. What day has it been? The Sabbath. And what is it that uh, one may not do on the Sabbath? Work. So as soon as they possibly can, that evening at sundown, they start hauling all their sick friends and relatives and they bring them to Jesus and he heals them. I mean, that's how just two simple expressions express so much depth and richness. That's the kind of rich story that Mark is telling us here. And so in our passage, we read that uh, this woman comes, and we, we, we find that she was a, a Gentile, a Greek actually is what it says, a, a, a Greek, a, a Syrophoenician by birth. She's Gentile, this kind of Gentile. <laughs> she is totally non-Jewish, totally an outsider, totally excluded. And she's someone like you and me. Well, at least she humbles herself before Jesus. As a total outsider, she comes in humility, expecting that Jesus is the authority to help her daughter. So she throws herself at Jesus' feet and, and begs him to cast the demon out from her daughter. And now we have the banter. And this is probably the bit that bothers us. Jesus says, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And uh, she repackages it. Yes, Lord, Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now, to be fair, it's, it's important to point out that Jesus isn't comparing her to, you know, some mangy, wild street cur, whatever. Actually, it's a, it, it's a mild word. It, it, it's, you know, the, the little doggies, you know, you know the pets. Uh, but even so, um, it, it, it still kind of bothers us. I mean, what it sounds like is, uh, you know, children belong, little doggies are beneath them. Or children are privileged, little doggies need to wait. And she responds basically, yes, but the children's mess becomes the doggies' delight. <laughs> um, 
So while we might be bothered by this on the one hand, I think maybe one way we can start to explain it, there's some banter, you know, some witty joking back and forth. So maybe I could illustrate it this way. So Austin and I are coming up to the, to the front, sorry, Austin. <laughs> we're, we're coming up to the front door. We get there at the same time. Austin grabs the handle, pulls open the door and says, ladies before gentlemen. And I say, <laughs> yeah, where are the gentlemen? <laughs> okay, all right, so... So, you know, it, it, it is kind of insulting, all right, but also we're kind of having fun, and, and maybe something like that's going on, or, or maybe a little less mild. I, we, we picked this up from our daughter, Lydia, this week, um, where she was telling us about her, uh, her one-year-old who, who loves crawling around on the floor uh, beneath the table when his bigger sister is eating because he's picking up the food as soon as she drops it on the floor, you know. And, and, and so Lydia calls, her, call, calls him the little puppy, you know. Okay. Um, Similar kind of thing, and, and it wasn't an, in, an insult to say, oh, there's a little puppy. Uh, so so it, it, it's not as heavy as it would sound. There's some lightness to it, but there's also some seriousness. Um, Jesus is affirming a biblical truth, and, and we need to recognize this. Uh, the people of Israel are probably the most important ethnic group in the world. They are the direct blood descendants of Abraham to whom God swore to give a particular land to make into a great nation and to bless. And there's no other nation in the history of humankind that can ever make such a claim as having received a comment from, like that from God. And then God blesses the descendants of Abraham with their own covenant. They and they alone, the Israelites, are called God's treasured possession. God's chosen ones, uh, the ones on whom God has set his heart in love. There's no other ethnic group or nation in the history of humankind that has ever had that said about them. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't care about others. Uh, when he makes his covenant with the Israelites in the first place, he tells them, yes, they're his treasure possession, but that the whole earth is his. His people are to be a priestly nation. The way that all the other peoples of the world get to see God on display. Uh, uh, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses uh, tells them even more explicitly, when, when all the nations see you keeping this law, they'll say, well, what a wise and discerning nation to have a law like this. And then he goes on to say, for what other great nation has a God so near to it as our God is to us whenever we call on him? I mean, this is the nature of the relationship between God and his people, Israel. So when Jesus implies that the Jewish people, who are the, the direct descendants of, of, of these people uh, to whom the promises are given, uh, uh, when, when, when Jesus implies that the Jewish people to whom he ministers are the children, and Gentile people like this Greek Syrophoenician woman are the little doggies under the table. He's drawing on the great legacy of Israel as God's people, the one to whom the Christ, the Messiah, comes first. And so this woman's response is remarkable. She accepts the banter-like insult and then repackages it, and she recognizes that she has no business making this request. But as a little doggy, she's at least entitled to the crumbs. It's a remarkable demonstration of shameless persistence, and, and she accepts both Jewish priority and her inferiority by comparison. 
And, and because of this statement, her request is granted. We have an outsider woman whose persistent, playfully humble request leads her to being commended and ministered to by Jesus. So, in the conclusion, Jesus pronounces her daughter to be released from the demon. He, he commends her for her response. He gives her what she asks for. By the way, without his having to go anywhere, it's gone. <laughs> he just pronounces the word. And, and the woman arrives home to find her daughter well and at rest. Now, something really deep and profound has just happened here. And so, and so no, please don't misunderstand me. I, again, I don't for a minute want to imply that, that Jesus has made a mistake. But what has happened for the first and I think only time in this gospel is that Jesus actually lets someone else win a debate with him. And um, it, it, it's, uh, the, the person he lets win is not only a woman, but a Gentile woman. This is pretty significant here. And, and, and what's the debate about? Who has access to him? In the answer to that question, now, everyone. Regardless of their background, based on their persistent faith. Uh, he's still the authority, and, and in, in that authority, he welcomes people who have no attachment to Jewish people in any way, people who come to him in persistent, relentless, shameless faith. Everyone is welcome. Now, I think it's important to see that, that this passage goes with the preceding passage that Brian preached on last week. Uh, with these, these two passages together, we're dealing with two great Jewish distinguishing features. One is food, uh, and the other is exclusion. J Jews are known for their restrictive diet. Uh, and, and, and we learned some about that last week. Um, those associated with Messiah Jesus, we learn now, are no longer under those restrictions because Jesus, the authority, has declared all foods to be clean. That was in our passage last week. Now, yes, Jews are known for excluding non-Jews. And, and that often goes with the food. The idea is, you know, we, we don't want to make ourselves dirty with dirty Gentile food, so our clean food keeps us from associating with you dirty folks. I mean, that's, you know... And, and it gets kind of extreme that way. And th th these extreme attitudes actually aren't in the scriptures, but, but, but there are reasons why this sorts of thing, these sorts of things happen. And, and Brian started to uh, allude to some of that uh, last week, you know, building uh, the, the, the walls around the law. We got in trouble, Jewish people would say, for not maintaining our covenant. So we want to be extra careful to, to maintain it as, as best as we can so that we can maintain our connection with God. And, and, and so you know, it, it's an honest beginning for why these things start to happen. Um, but the real deal is, is this all about the temple? Uh, it's, it's about being clean and pure for the temple. Uh, the temple is where God meets with his people. There's only one temple. It's in Jerusalem. And it's the place where, where God's people are to bring their sacrifices. And their sacrifices are not valid unless they are pure. And, and so uh, it, it's about keeping their sacrifices pure. Uh, they, they are in uh, covenant relationship with a holy God who dwells in their midst through the temple. And so they are to be holy. Their sacrifices need to be holy. Um, 
uh, you know, even the authorities, so, so concerned were they for this holiness that the authorities put a sign, you know, they've actually found this, a sign in the temple area, uh, and they write it in Greek, because it's going to be the outsiders who are going to be able to read that. Their, their language is Aramaic. They write it in Greek, warning off the Gentiles, don't you dare come any further. <laughs> this is the dividing wall, okay? Um, you're not going to make our sacrifices dirty. So uh, this is about uh, preserving holiness, and it turns into exclusion. So uh, the problem is that the temple was supposed to attract people from all over the world. I mean, that's what the Isaiah passage we read earlier was all about. You know, all nations streaming to Jerusalem saying, come, <laughs> uh, coming to the God of Israel, come, teach us your ways. And uh, now all of a sudden this is being um, exclusionary. So, so Jesus affirms Jewish priority in his conversation with this extraordinary woman. And he also signals that, that Gentiles who come to him in full, relentless, shameless trust with awareness that they deserve nothing, they, they can now receive full participation in the benefits of the Messiah without having to become Jews. The time has now begun for all nations to come to the God of Israel and learn his ways as indeed we read in the Isaiah passage. The time is now. What we're learning basically is there's a, a new covenant. This is the new wine and the new wineskins. The, the new covenant that uh, uh, people like, the prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel talked about. You know, in coming days, says Jeremiah, I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the one I made with their ancestors, you know, the Mosaic one. This will be the covenant I'll make in those days. I'll, I'll put my law in their hearts. Um, that they won't say to each other, know the Lord. They'll all know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I'll forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This, this new covenant, it, it's begun. And the big surprise is that Gentiles are welcome in that covenant also without having to jump through any hoops. That's what this passage is indicating has begun. Uh, now, now, what's interesting is that the woman in our passage is showing the exact same attitude that Paul, the apostle, advocates. Uh, if you could read in, in Romans chapter 11, he's talking about uh, how it is that, that uh, and we have the tree of God's people and uh, some of the branches have been lopped off and inserted instead are, are Gentile believers. And he's saying, hey, you Gentile believers, don't get so high and mighty just because you got grafted into the tree. <laughs> you are not any more special. Um, because uh, though it may seem like Jewish people are enemies of the gospel right now, they are still beloved by God as his chosen. And so here's this woman showing this exact same humble attitude, knowing full well the priority of Israelite, uh, uh, the, the priority of Israel, coming in humility and receiving in the end the fullness of what she's asked for. Now, elsewhere in Ephesians, Paul also talks about how Gentiles, you know, those who were without hope, without God in the world, alienated from the promises, and now because of Jesus, brought near. And, and he says it's brought near through the blood of Christ. The same Jesus who died for Jewish people died for non-Jewish people, and both together now come to God through Jesus, who's been crucified for our sins and, and raised from the dead. 
the barriers are all gone. And, and if, if those barriers are gone, all believers in Jesus um, uh, have to come together on this. So, you can bear with this machine here. It's not, sorry. Uh, we've already been through point. Okay, so, so, so what does Jesus now release us to do? Here we have it. You are welcome. We are all welcome. Jesus accepts all people who believe in him. If you're here today as a believer in Jesus, regardless of your background, you have full acceptance from him. If you come to him in full confidence in who he is and what he offers to us in the cross and in the resurrection. Nothing that you have done can separate you from him when you place your trust in him. Jesus accepts all people who come to him, believing in him, and now trusting in the powerful deliverance from evil and sin through the death of Jesus on the cross, receiving new, fully transforming life in the, in the resurrection from the dead three days later. If you've placed your trust in Jesus, I hope you feel fully accepted by God. You are. You cannot be any more fully accepted. But the same acceptance is possible for everyone who comes to Jesus for help. People who don't believe in Jesus sometimes play these kind of silly mind trick games. Uh, maybe you've heard people say things like, you know, I walked into a church today. It's still standing. You know, uh, the, 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 the idea that, that you know, they, they, they somehow say, you know, uh, I'm so bad and, and God knows I'm so bad that if I come anywhere near anything connected or associated with God, I will ruin it and God will ruin me. You know? <laughs> um, and, and it's kind of a silly thought, but people think that. Now, now, my office is in the basement of, of Muskingum's chapel. And, and outside my office is a huge common area. And it's got nice uh, couches, and, and there's a coffee pot there, and there, there are even tables with games on it. And no one is ever there. Fascinating. Um, most students don't think they belong in such a place, and they avoid it because it's part of what they call the church. And, and some are actually afraid of the building. Yeah. The story we read today tells us otherwise. No one can say, I'm not good enough. Jesus would never want someone like me. The woman today could have fit that description perfectly and she proves it otherwise. What matters is not your background or your behavior. What matters is that you come to Jesus shamelessly. He offers a new way of life and gives it freely to all people who call out to God in his name. Now, if, if Jesus accepts us without any reservation, discrimination, or hesitation, what does that mean about our attitudes to others? Any believer who names the name of Jesus in sincere, honest faith has received full acceptance from Jesus. That person deserves the same from us. So someone who comes in here who looks differently from us, who acts differently from us, who speaks differently from us, who holds opinions different from us, why should we do nothing but give full acceptance and fellowship when that person names the name of Jesus in full faith? Uh, one of my personal heroes in the faith is a man named Chuck Colson. 
and maybe some of you have heard of him, he wrote this gripping spiritual autobiography called Born Again. And if you've never uh, read it, it, you've got to read it, really. It's, it's astounding. Um, he tells how in perhaps the most politically polarizing moment of the 20th century, you know, the Nixon Watergate years, um, ha- is how he came to Christ. And, and maybe you don't know who he was, Nixon's hatchet man. You know, his attorney and confidant, the originator of all sorts of dirty political tricks, and someone in up to his eyeballs in White House life and scandal. In the middle of all that, a client and a friend told him that he had placed his faith in Jesus and said, hey, Chuck, you ought to do that too. Um, He did. And and in his book, he describes uh, taking place what happened afterwards. It's it's utterly extraordinary. Uh, In the political world, you pull out your knives because your opponents have theirs. Chuck Colson placed his trust in Christ and people all over Washington whom you would expect to be his arch enemies phoned him and wrote him and visited him with personal support telling him they would do anything to help him stand firm in his faith. Why? He wasn't an enemy. He was a brother in Christ. Now, you know, there's these politicians who love to boast, I crossed the aisle. Um, In Christ... There's no aisle to cross. There's only the family of God, and regardless of political opinion, all people who put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior are one in Him. There's no such thing as one of them. That's what our story today launches for us. When we come to faith in Jesus, we we become part of a a huge global family where there are no inferiors or superiors, no insiders or outsiders, only brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, now, I have to say, B and I really appreciate the acceptance we've experienced here. We've been here just just about a year. And and, I think I'm, I'm really relatively new and yet you guys are sitting here and you're listening to me, you're letting me preach and I think that's, that's amazing. Keep on welcoming new people, please. <laughs> um, also, we admit we still don't know all your names. <laughs> and we want to. So after a year, it gets to be kind of embarrassing to ask people, uh, what's your name? I forget. Is it... So, so and maybe you don't know everyone's names either. Mm, um, maybe we can agree to ask each other, <laughs> remind each other, um, so we can be an even tighter community. Now, one of the best ways we can be uh, part of this welcome is, is actually to join a life group. And, and uh, we jumped in with life groups last year. Boy, it was amazing. It really helped us be welcome. We're in on life groups again this year. It's a slightly different group, and it's just really fabulous. A great way uh, to get to know each other as brothers, each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Really, really, it, it, it goes a long way for that. And it really helped me and me last year. It's helping us again this year. Uh, it's a blessing for us, the two of us. Uh, we're, we're knee deep in, in ministry. It's, it's just fabulous to have brothers and sisters who have our backs. Uh, and that's what happens every week. Uh, but just as important, we have a real opportunity in the wider New Concord community. Uh, I've heard people say about New Concord, oh, we're, we're kind and we're welcoming to everyone. Uh, but I know, and probably some of you also know, that's not really always true. As believers in Jesus, we have the wonderful privilege of establishing a reputation of, of being a welcoming church, 
welcoming people in Jesus' name, offering that welcome to all people in this town, even if they didn't graduate from John Glenn High School. <laughs> or, or even if they themselves were not very welcoming to us when we first came. So Jesus no longer permits us to think in terms of excluding outsiders. Do we know everyone in our neighborhood, for example? If not, why not? I, I intentionally embarrassed myself a couple months ago. Um, I stopped to talk a neighbor to a neighbor. I, I didn't know the guy, and I should have, because he'd moved into the neighborhood five years earlier. And, and I needed to take the first step and say, I'm sorry, I don't know your name. And he didn't know mine either. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I apologized. And he said, well, that's okay. Well, no, it wasn't. And I didn't let him get away with that. And, and, and we laughed about it. Um, but I needed to take that first step. We need to be active in knowing others and in welcoming others, not, not simply waiting until the person leaves the room so we can ask, who was that? Jesus in our passage today indicates that the time for labeling outsiders is over. We welcome all people. We do this not to be great, but to show others Jesus who is great and who welcomes all to place their trust in him. Jesus has opened the door of welcome and he's welcomed us. We who have responded to his welcome by trusting in him must welcome each other. And we must, we must, we must welcome others. Let's pray. So Father, we're sitting here and you've touched each one of us in different ways. Maybe some of us need the courage to meet someone new. Maybe some of us need the humility to admit we don't know everyone. And maybe some of us are encouraged because we've welcomed others and, and we're desirous of welcoming more. Um, wherever we stand on this, oh God, we pray for your mercy. We pray for your grace. We pray for the work of your spirit to work in our lives to have us be the people you so desire us to be. And, and we're grateful we can be this way because of the Lord Jesus. It's not up to us. It's, it's up to you and your work in us. So make us responsive to you. Uh, guide us that we be those who honor the Lord Jesus for it's in his name that we pray. Amen. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Enjoy the rest of your day.